I love it. I'm so excited to do this tonight. Like, when we were talking about this, too, like, we've obviously, as a church, as we've been gathering and, and teaching and worshiping together, like, we've been doing topical series, right, where we sort of, like, think about, man, you know, what would be a word for our community? Like, how can we present the gospel to our community? And we can do that through all these different beautiful sort of topical messages and ideas. And obviously, we just covered salt and light, which was fire. And like, we have another topical one coming up after this that I think we'll really love at some point when we decide to do it. Uh, But this is a nice sort of departure from that for us, using this, exploring this as a faith family, this expository method where we expose what the Word has to say, where we sort of zoom in on a book of the Bible, a portion of the Bible, and really determine what it means, what it says. Like I said, we expose the Word of God. And when we came to the book of Philippians, the letter to the Philippians, I was so excited just because this letter is so heavy. It's one in my life that has just like profoundly shaped the way that I view God, the way that I view life, the way that I view death. And we're going to explore some of those some of those topics tonight. And it's really nice, like, like as Kobe said a little bit last week, sort of taking this exegetical approach, like this exegesis versus eisegesis, where we really look at the word, and they look at, like I said, like what does the word say, not necessarily what does the word say about me to me. Because when we like look at all these different parts of the Bible, like, I mean, Tuesday night small group gang, like the word of God is not about you, the word of God is about God, right? The God is the main character of the Bible. Like, that was chapter one of the curriculum that we were working through, right? And so, like, it's so important that as we read through it, as we discuss it as a faith family, like, even, you know, when you're chilling in the morning and want to open up the Word of God, we sort of take that approach where we look at it and ask the question of what does this have to say about God? What does this Scripture mean, right? Not specifically, what does it mean for me today, to me today? Because those questions are like, they can be appropriate, but they can also skew sort of how we read it. Because like when we are flipping through the Bible and we say, like, what does this say about me? Like, what does this letter have? What is it saying to me? And you go to, like, Jeremiah 29, 11, like, you get warm fuzzies, and that's, like, a good day. But if you take that same idea, like, what is this word saying to me? And you open up to, like, Isaiah 17, you're going to have a bad day. Like, take my word for it. Like, you're going to have a really bad day, right? And so one of the beauties about using this sort of method of teaching um, is really just focusing in on how we read the Word, right? And Kobe really went into depth about that last week, so I won't go into too much of it this week, but it's really important that also, specifically, we understand the letter to the Philippians as a letter to the Philippians. This is very similar to me writing to my friends in Michigan, right? So that's the sort of perspective that we need to take, like that sort of lens when we observe this letter and we look into it. You know, what is Paul saying to the church in Philippi, right? And, and some of the context we zoomed in on last week, Paul's writing from prison, most likely in Rome, and we talked about that, right? And so that's where this letter is from. He's writing it to the church in Philippi, right? Paul and Timothy, if you were paying attention last week, <laughs> are both sort of authoring this letter. And we're going to go through the rest of chapter one tonight. Um, I'm pretty excited about it. And we're just really going to pick up where we left off. And we left off uh, with, with the authorship, with the greeting, uh, with thanksgiving, and a beautiful prayer that Paul had for the church in Philippi. And we're just going to keep cruising. So the word is going to be up behind me on the screen. Pull your Bibles out, pull your phones out, follow around with me. I am uh, 
reading from the ESV, and we are going to pick up right off and read chapter 12 through 18. And it reads like this. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only, in, and only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. All right. Amen. I love that. Okay, so there's some stuff to break down here, and we're going to do that. And this is the beautiful thing about expository teaching, like topical stuff. We can kind of zoom in and talk about exactly what we want to talk about. Expository doesn't give you that luxury, right? Like, we talk about what the Word says. If it's challenging, we talk about it. If it's confusing, we talk about it. If it's something we don't want to talk about because it's hard or we don't understand, we do it anyway because we don't have a choice, right? It's like, this is the Word of God. We're going to study it. We're going to understand it, right? And so I want to zoom in on this first chunk that's sort of 12 through 14 where he talks about his imprisonment. Like, I want you to know, brothers, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Like, Paul is acknowledging and telling those in Philippi, like, my imprisonment, God's using it. God's using this situation. God's using my situation to advance the gospel here in Rome. And that's a beautiful thing. So much that the imperial guard, all of them, the whole imperial guard knows why Paul is in prison. Paul, he's in prison because he was sharing the gospel. He's, he's talking about this guy, Jesus, who rose from the dead. It's actually upending like the whole Jewish culture. Like it's a new chapter for them as a whole religion and faith. Like all the people of Israel are like really getting shaken up because Jesus came through and really kind of changed everything. <laughs> like what he did was so critical and so important. And Paul is in prison because of it. Like we can assume that Paul is in prison not because he broke the law or did something crazy wild. He didn't steal a car, right? Paul's in prison because he did what Paul does best, right? Preach the gospel. Like, and at the time, in this context, in Rome, this is, pretty, this is a pretty fiery word because Paul is, is challenging the powers that be, right? Saying there is one God, one Savior, one Lord of all things, one creator of all things, who is before all things, and in him all things hold together. This is what Paul is preaching, and he's rowdy, right? And what's beautiful about this, about Paul's imprisonment, that he wants to draw attention to for the Philippians is that the church in Rome, the brothers in Christ in Rome, the sisters in Christ in Rome, the church, this faith family in Rome, those who know him and love him, they're being emboldened by his imprisonment because he's not being silenced. Right? Like Paul is still getting letters out there. Praise God. Like Because Paul is in prison for what he believes in, people are, are emboldened. People are finding courage in that. You know what? Paul went to prison for this truth. He's in there right now. We should proclaim what he proclaimed to us. Like, they're, 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 yeah, the church in Rome is doing that, right? They're, they are doing that. They're being bold to do that, and Paul is thankful for that. So much so that we get like into a confusing point where Paul kind of identifies two different groups. 
here, right? Where he says, like, uh, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Which is, and this is something that I like, I feel like I didn't understand for a long time. Because he really identifies these two groups. One group is just the beautiful group. Like, I mean, just like the people who are like out of love for Paul, they're helping Christianity spread like wildfire, which at the time it's absolutely doing. Right? Like everyone's starting to hear the gospel, like it's really getting out there. And some people are doing it, like Paul went to prison for this. I'm 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 gonna preach this word. I'm gonna teach this. Like I'm gonna spread this in the public square, in the synagogues, like, in the markets. Like, I'm, I'm gonna tell people about this, that Jesus really did rise from the dead and overcome all these things. Right? And there's another group as well that is doing that, but out of envy of Paul out of rivalry for Paul, seeking to afflict him somehow. Their heart is not with him. They're not preaching the gospel because they love him. They're preaching the gospel probably just because if it gets more popular, Paul's persecution is going to ramp up. Like it's going to be, be an even bigger deal because Paul was like a leader of leaders. Like This dude is kind of uncommon. Like he, was, he had quite an experience, and he was responsible for like most of the New Testament. Dude, dude is a heat bringer. Like Paul is a titan. And there are those who are preaching the gospel outside of that prison in that city in order to make his life harder. But one important point, important takeaway, is that they are preaching the gospel. For a long time, I thought that they were like just preaching some sort of false gospel or not doing it right or misrepresenting Christ. But that's really not what Paul says here. It's not necessarily the case, which is interesting. It's like we see this moment where people are preaching the right gospel for the wrong reasons. They're telling the truth. Yeah, Jesus really did. He really did rise from the grave. He was in there for three days and he overcame Satan's sin and death. He really did do miracles. He fulfilled prophecy. Like Jesus is the Son of God, the promised Messiah that the Jews, everyone's been waiting for for so long. Like he's, he, he's here. The promises of God, they're not just for Jews anymore. This is for like Gentiles as well. Like, by faith in him, by, like, by grace, through faith in Christ, we can receive salvation in him. They are saying that. And it's important to notice that because, like, if they were preaching, like, a false gospel, Paul doesn't mess around with that. Like, we see in other letters, he takes that very seriously. If you misrepresent Christ, if you misrepresent the gospel, if you say it for something it's not, if Jesus is someone less than the Son of God to you, Paul doesn't let that go. Like, they're ser- like, he takes that very, very, very seriously. It's no joke to him. Like, you, you preach the real Jesus or don't. Like, not at all. Or, like, you don't get it. And Paul is, like, unashamed to uh, really light people up for that reason. And so it's, like, it's a really interesting moment. But what's amazing is Paul's response to this. Like, even he identifies the people preaching the right gospel for the right reasons. And even people preaching the right gospel for the wrong reason. Paul's not offended. He's not hurt. What does he say? For whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. Try to afflict me. 
with the gospel. Preach it. <laughs> like, you know, like let that word be known. Bring it on. He's in prison. Like he's writing letters from that. He's making waves behind bars. Like he's for real. And it, and it's, it's it's going down. And so it's like a really fascinating thing. I don't think I've ever met someone who's ever like preached the right gospel for the wrong reasons. So it's kind of like a unique thing that we have to zoom in on in scripture, but also understand that Paul rejoices either way because that that true gospel it's getting out there. It's getting spread out there. Amen. All right, let's move on to verse 19 through 26. I'll probably just read through 30, uh, but it's really the second, second half of this part. It's another pericope, right? And it reads as this. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. And we'll stop there and just kind of <clears throat> look at this a little bit. And again, break it down. What does Paul mean by this? We got one of the most legendary verses like from this book, from the New Testament, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Like, if you've been in church for any amount of time, you've probably heard that power phrase before. Like, that is a nice magnet to have on the fridge. Like, I would love that one, <laughs> right? So long as we understand what that means. Paul, what does that mean? To live is Christ, to die is gain. Like, it's such a poetic way of saying something, right? <laughs> he's, like, he's going for it, right? And he, like, breaks it down for the Philippians in this letter, immediately following that. Because Paul's torn here, right? It says he's hard-pressed between the two. And he has confidence, not only in this, he's already hard-pressed between the two, but he has confidence, right? That through their prayers, through the Philippians' prayers, and the power of the Spirit of Jesus, that he will be delivered from his current situation because to live is Christ and to die is gain. Right? And like ultimately for Paul to live, he breaks it down, what does he say? For to me, for if I remain in the flesh, if I stay alive, if I don't die, that means fruitful labor, labor for me. And that fruit for labor, fruitful labor for him is to advance the gospel, is to spread it, is to teach it. This is, what Paul, this is what Paul cares about, right? And he knows that there's work for him to do in making disciples and honoring God and loving people. He knows that it's for him. And it's like he's hard-pressed because his desire is to depart and be with Christ. And he's sort of faced with this crisis of decision that he outlines for us, right? He can remain and struggle and be in prison and try and get letters out of it to different churches, fully confident that he will be delivered from that situation, fully confident that without shame he will honor Christ in life or in death. He's, he's dying on that hill. Right, he's confident in that. 
and he's encouraged by their prayers. And the spirit of the Lord Jesus, right? And that's what, that's to him, this is Paul's life. This is what it means for him to live, to remain in this, to continue this. But to die means what? To be with Christ, to depart, to be with Christ, for that is far better. And I really want, like, this is going to, this is a moment that we should really spend some time on, right? Specifically, how we view death. I mean, how do you view death as a Christian? Like, I think sometimes it's not something that we think about very often, right? And it's something that can sort of be misconstrued. Like, I do think even within Christian circles, like, there's a lot of, there's some, I don't want to say uncertainty, but just, like, not full understanding around. So when I, either way, what I'm trying to say is it's not usually something we're looking forward to, right? <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's like, it's sort of, but Paul's view of death is something that he's looking forward to. Like, death to him is like going home, right? I mean, do you view death that way? Like, I mean, do, do we see this as something like, like, as, as a Christian, we view death, like, what is, what is the word saying? The twinkling of an eye, like, will be before Jesus, our Father, right? Before Jesus and God, our Father. Like, we'll be with him for eternity. We'll be found in him if our faith is in him. For the Christian, this is what happens when you die, right? In a moment, you are before Jesus. You are found in him. You've put your faith in him. You've repented of your sin. You believed in him as the only son of God and trusted in him. You will be welcomed home with open arms. And this is like, and this, what I mean something to look forward to, I mean like this is something that it's hard for us to even describe. Like we say a lot of things about heaven, like it's good, but ultimately, like as we just read the word, like, Anything that we really do to describe heaven ultimately sells it short of what it really is. Because no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Amen. It is beyond your wildest dreams. Like to be in the presence of a loving father, to be in his arms for eternity is something so hard even to comprehend. But it's so important because it affects how we live. Like we're in this world for 20 minutes and then we're like gone. Like we are but a mist that vanishes before God, right? And then we're there with him for eternity. So really the way we view death then impacts how we live our lives. Knowing that death is not something we're afraid of. Death is something we're looking forward to. Death is going home. And it sounds, doesn't it? It just feels weird and almost uncomfortable to say that because for the non-Christian, like, if you had this, has anyone had this conversation with someone who doesn't necessarily have, like, with who someone doesn't believe they're going to heaven, right? It's just like, I mean, where does it go? I mean, I've had it a number of times, right? And death, specifically life after death, for the non-Christian is sort of a nebulous topic. Like, this is really, it can be a really uncomfortable one. I mean, this is really like, and embrace your truth kind of moment for the non-believer, right? And having had this conversation a few times with a couple people, like I've heard a lot of different things, you know, whether it's like, I mean, that there's hope in it, um, like they want their higher power, they've, they've done, they feel like they're a pretty good person, you know, they feel like their higher power is going to embrace them at the end, and like things are going to be good, or even probably less common, everything just ceases to exist. I feel like that one's not so popular, or it's getting less popular, but it's a moment that is kind of uncomfortable because, and one of the reasons I think it's really uncomfortable for someone who hasn't placed their faith in Christ 
is because ultimately, the genesis of that idea begins with them. Like, I've had this conversation with people where it's just like, okay, like, we're, well, how do you know that? Where'd you get that from? And ultimately, it's something that they made up, which is, I mean, like, for the people that I've talked to, that's true. It's like, yeah, I, I, I guess, right? And like, what's real, what's critically important tonight, as you hear me say this, is like, me telling you what happens after death is not something I made up. Like, there's zero conjecture from my part on this. I didn't, like, dream a dream or, like, you know, just, like, study extra biblical text about, like, what really happens. Like, I mean, like, n- none of that's in here, right? Like, for the Christian, what we know about life after death is from the Bible alone, from Scripture alone, right? And we lean on that, even when it's confusing. I mean, even that whole process of, like, what happens specifically after death is, like, something that we can really have a deeper conversation about. We don't have time for that tonight, right? You know, because there's, there's a lot there. Ultimately, the most important thing is that if you are found in Christ, you put your faith in Jesus, your eternity is secure with him. You were in the palm of his hand, and you, he's not going to let you go. He's not going to let you go. Right? And so when we sort of change that, like, I mean, I think, too, sort of selling that conversation, having that conversation, as uncomfortable as it is, like, it's like I've been there in moments where I've sort of had that response where I then say, like, well, I mean, like, they're telling me, like, talking to me, like, so if you're saying that I... After I die, you know, if I place my faith in, like, an all-powerful all God, right, and repented of my sin and, and believed in him and called upon him, that he'll sort of welcome me home. Like, that's kind of crazy. Like, that's sort of an out-there idea. And, like, here what's important in this moment is not only recognize that it's not an idea that I created, but, like, one of the things that sort of grounds me a little bit, especially talking about concepts that are so hard to comprehend, such as life after death, it's sort of recognizing that tonight, in this room, I am speaking to you through a microphone in the western and northern hemisphere of a planet moving at 67,000 miles per hour through the vacuum of space, <laughs> orbiting around a star, which is the sun, that comprises our solar system, which is one of many in the Milky Way galaxy, which is one galaxy that contains 100 billion stars, in a universe that, as far as we can observe, has about two trillion. That's crazy. Like, that is crazy. The fact that we're even having this conversation tonight, the fact that life exists is crazy. And when you sort of understand that, like everything that we've been able to observe, been able to comprehend, been able to look at through telescopes and deduce through logic and reasoning, like we understand that, you know, perhaps a creator for all those things is not so far-fetched because we can't even begin to understand like the rest of it, <laughs> right? And so it's sort of like, as we have those conversations, these concepts, like as we, we become more grounded, I think they're easier for me to digest, to propose, to understand, to even allow to influence and guide my life. Because then if that sort of creator of all these things becomes someone personal that I can have a relationship with, Jesus, that affects and changes everything about my life. And this is what Paul is saying. It becomes, it becomes a reason to live. Advancing the kingdom. Advancing his gospel. Doing this. And it's what Paul is like, is, is so adamant about, like, whether in life or by death, like, Christ is going to be honored. 
Right? He knows that his desire is to depart and be with Christ, so that's far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on the Philippians' account for them. And he's convinced of it because he knows that he'll remain and he'll continue with them for their progress and joy in the faith. Paul's going to stick around because there's things that he can teach them still. There's ways in which he can love on them still. There's work for him to do still. And if you've read about Paul's life, if you've Googled his life, you'll understand his life is not easy. Like when he says to live is Christ, like he's not just saying that. Like you got to understand he's writing this from a Roman prison, not like a county jail. I don't know what, how prisons in Rome sort of regarded human rights back then. So this is conjecture, so just bear with me. But I promise you they weren't as good as they are today. Like, if you continue to read about Paul's life, you'll understand that he was stoned and dragged out of cities, left for dead, beaten, just afflicted with whatever, shipwrecked. Imagine having, being in a wooden boat out off the coast of Oregon during a storm and having it beaten apart on the rocks and having to swim to shore. I'm good. (laughs) No, I mean, this is Paul's life. So when he's saying to live is Christ and to die is gain, he means it. Because living, living for him was hard. But living for him meant proclaiming the gospel. It meant being persecuted. It meant, like, being, it meant giving people joy in the good news of Jesus. Like as he says here, like, I'm, I'm going to remain here. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because my coming to you again. I am so thankful for the people in my life who have been similar to Paul in this moment. The people who give me reason to glory in Christ Jesus. The people I am so thankful that Jesus put them in my life because they lift me up. They encourage me. They tell me the truth. They share the gospel with me. And these things, oh man, that that, that just keeps me here. It keeps me grounded. It keeps me awake. It keeps me, like, remembering constantly what the mission is that God has given to everyone who believes in him. The Great Commission, right? It's a beautiful thing. To be, to be someone, to be Paul for someone in this moment, it's just, whew. <clears throat> I love it. I'm super thankful for all, for all those things, right? And, so like, and just all, all for the glory of God, right? Like, it's very important, too, to notice that in this moment, Paul is not drawing attention to himself. Right? He's saying, like, I'm coming to you so that you may glory in Christ Jesus. That's the purpose. Right? That's where his focus is. You can clearly see he doesn't hold his own life in very high regard. As he says, like, whether if I live or if I die, I'm going to honor Christ with that. Amen? All right, let's move on. In 27 through 30. As he says, so that in me you have man will cause according to Christ Jesus, my government again, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So, whether, so that whether I come to you and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. 
Let's break that down. I know, it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of Paul, how, it's how he closes out chapter one. I love it. In challenging them, like as he's telling them about his situation, about his affliction, and how firm he is, that though he wants to depart and be with Christ, that he wants to die, that he wants it to end, he's going to remain. And he's going to remain for them. And he begs them, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. That if I'm absent or if I do come to you, I can, I can hear about you. I can be encouraged by news of you. That you're what? That you're standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And what's super unique about as he says this, like I'm going to spend some time in that, in that life being worthy of the gospel. That, that's one that convicts me. What's, what really is something that I think we need to hone in on is that Paul is not writing to Joseph, the pastor of the church in Philippi. He's not writing to an individual. He's not writing to a person. He regards the church here as one body as one team, unified in mind, striving side by side for the proclamation of the gospel. Like, Kobe can tell you way more about Western individualism than I can, and it's a beautiful conversation you need to have with him for some time. But he's not asking specifically here. He's not saying, like, I hope you are all out, go individually in your workplaces, sharing the gospel when you can. It's not what Paul's saying. The church of Philippi stands together, unified in one mind. They share the gospel together. And I think one thing that has really kind of permeated our society is that we think like the gospel is something we have to share alone. We have to share independently. Like, praise God for those of you who do it, right? And then, like, it's beautiful, and we should do it, right? But it's likely most of you in this room tonight probably haven't done that this week. I mean, did you, like, break down? Not, like, did you love on someone and, like, buy them dinner? Like, did you share the gospel with them? The good news of Jesus. That Jesus, that God came to earth to be among us sinners, like, broken, sinful people, like, like imperfect people, that he became a man to live a life that we could not live, to be a sacrifice that we could not be. That he went to the cross and endured the wrath of God that you and I deserve. Like Jesus died for us. Jesus died because of us. Right? And he took the wrath of God on his shoulders, which is something you and I could not do. Like he was the perfect lamb for that. And as he took the wrath of God, as he died for the sin of the world, out of love for you and I, out of love for us. He was in the grave for three days. And he rose again conquering Satan's sin and death to be seated at the right hand of the Father forever. Amen? Mm-hmm. And that through, by grace, through faith in him, we receive the Holy Spirit to lead us, to guide us. Like we are to now love God with all, all that we are. Right? And we have a spirit within us leading us, helping us do that. Interceding with, for us in prayer with groanings too deep for words. Right? Where Jesus now stands as a mediator between God and man. Like the, the gospel. Like most of us that, like, haven't done that this week. I specifically haven't done that this week, right? But I want to know, this is not a burden we have to carry alone. Paul doesn't write to individuals in the church in Philippi. Paul writes to the body of believers in the church in Philippi. 
asking him, hoping that they are striving, they are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And sort of how, this, as we apply this, understanding this letter from the outside looking in, this was Paul's vision for the church there. Certainly, we can like look at this and say, like, man, <laughs> I would love that for the church here, for Bloom, that we would strive, that we would stand firm together, right? That we would be, that we would be unified in one mind under the gospel together, that we would be striving side by side for this faith of the gospel, right? That we don't carry the burden of having to, like, share our, our beliefs, start those conversations totally alone, but we do it as a team. We do it as a faith family. We do it because Christ died for all of us, right? And that under, in him, like he plays that same role for all of us, right? And then together we can accomplish far more than we can alone as the body of Christ. <clears throat> Absolutely. That was one that just really stuck out to me that I had to spend a lot of time on. That we can accomplish so much more together than we can apart and we need not accomplish everything apart. We absolutely can do it together. Because as we do that, like Paul says, like, he's like, like he really points out, like, whether I come and see you, they're absent. I'm here of you, they're standing firm in one spirit, one mind, striving side by side through this, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had now here that I still have. Like, when we do, like, we can see, sort of imagine, like, too, like, I mean, like this is sort of like, I mean, this is just sort of like <laughs> human psychology, right? I mean, it's just like Paul is in prison for what he believes in. Everyone on the outside is like, wow, Paul's in prison for this. We're proclaiming this even more. And people are understanding, like, from the outside, I mean, it's like Gentiles, like, every, everyone, even Jews alike, you know, when they're hearing this even more, you can only imagine like, oh man, these Christians, these people who are proclaiming Christ, like they're willing, they're willing to die for this. They're willing to go to prison for this. There might be, there might be something here. What a powerful testimony. And I think too, it's important for us to understand, like that, like, I mean, Paul is literally in Roman prison for what he is preaching and believing. It is not, it is not out of like the realm of possibility to anyone else imitating him whether in pretense or in truth, could face the same consequences, right? I mean, like, you and I, too, and it's important, too, just to understand the context of that time, like, how real it is, and understand, too, even in this present day, where there is persecution, historically, the church explodes, right? And it's like, you and I could go down to Pioneer Square, like, after this, and just proclaim the gospel to anyone who was willing to hear, anyone we could talk to for five minutes. And, like, I think the worst thing that could probably happen is, like, I don't know, like someone argues with you and like maybe they're rude. And like that's not persecution. Like to be clear. <laughs> there are brothers and sisters in Christ right now in other places in the world who wish they could say that. But are thankful to suffer for the name. For the one who laid his life down so that they may have life everlasting regardless of what happens. Mm-hmm. And two, it's important to understand that Paul is begging them, asking them, admonishing them, only let your manner of life be worthy 
of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I'm gone or I hear you, I can hear good things. You're standing together. And this was something that is personally really convicting for me. This is something that as I read Philippians, especially for the first time, really kind of stuck out to me. What does it mean for your manner of life to be worthy of the gospel of Christ? Like, Paul, what are you saying? These Philippians, asking them, like, like truly, like letting, letting their lives be worthy of the gospel. And as we sort of like see literally what he breaks down after this, like being, being unified in mind, striving together, proclaiming the faith, and really looking at just Paul's body of work, understanding like what it means to do that. Like are we, is my life worthy of the gospel of Christ? Like am I submitted to God in every facet of my life? Right, and this is an important question for us, for us to ask. Right? This is a question that Paul's asking the, the church in Philippi, like all the Philippians, begging them to let their lives be worthy. Are they submitted to Jesus in every facet of their lives? Are you submitted to Jesus in every facet of Have you submitted to God? Have you submitted your finances to God? Like the money you make? Like are you using it for the glory of his kingdom, knowing that this life is short and it is better to store up treasure in heaven than it is here. <laughs> the treasure you store up here, you can't take it with you. Moth and rust destroy in this world. Treasure in heaven never fades away. Right? It'll never pass. Like investing your finances for the ministry, for the kingdom, to the poor in this city go so much further than they would in a new toy, in a new boat, in a bigger house. We see that here. Are you submitting your time to God for the advancement of the kingdom, for the proclamation of Christ? Like are, you, are you giving your time to him for the glory of God? Like are you doing that in your life? Are you submitting your talents to God, the way God has gifted you, the way God has given you spiritual gifts as you believed in him, things that the Holy Spirit can do through you by his power, by his providence? Are you developing those things? Are you using those things? Are you using those talents to leverage the king, like the advancement of the kingdom? Are you using those things in your relationships to share the gospel, to forward the gospel, to be a part of the church in Portland? Is your manner of life worthy of the gospel of Christ? And it's so important for us to sort of ask this question of ourselves because it's one also that we need not do completely alone. Like, again, we come back to this aspect of community. And I'm wrapping up here, so you guys can come back and play, and we'll, we'll worship a little bit more. <clears throat> like, understanding that, like, in this life, there will be trouble. Like, as we choose to live, we understand it's not going to be easy. Like, we see everyone kind of throughout the New Testament who just picked up the mantle, who, like, who walked with Christ and beyond and lived for him. That's what we have to look forward to. I'm looking forward to that. And I'm, I can't wait for that. And I'm going to let that motivation, knowing that I'm here for a moment, that I'm going to be with Christ forever in the presence 
of God forever, in the arms of a loving God forever, in the arms of a loving Father forever, that's going to change every day that I have here. That's going to change every day that I have in Portland, in the city, with you guys, (laughs) with you guys praying together, singing together, eating together. It's going to change that because it's temporary. We've got to enjoy it while we can. We've got to make the most of the time. Because someday, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, you're going to be with him. He is going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will be no more pain. We're just going to be in his presence reflecting his glory. And I look forward to that. Let's pray. God, we love you. Father, we want to live for you. We want to make the most of the time. We want to make the most of every day. We want to be able to say, like Paul, like whether by life or by death, we're going to honor you, Jesus. Father, we're going to live for you. God, we're so excited to see the things you have prepared for bloom, you have prepared for us, for us to do ways to love, lives to change, God. We need to be a part of that. We are so thankful. we just submit to you tonight, God. We submit all that we are. We submit our finances. We submit our treasure. We submit our time. We submit our talents. God, to you for your glory so that we can lead lives that are worthy of the gospel of Christ, God, and we can glory in your name in that, for that opportunity, knowing that you make it possible. God, that you hold it together, that you lead us. Father, that it's not something we do alone, We don't do it alone because we're not alone. Because you're with us. You see us. Your eyes are upon us. And you go before us. You know our getting up. You know our sitting down before a word is on our tongue. Lord, you know it all together. And you are with us. Father, we love you. And it is the name of your son, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.